We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Let me stay a little bit more on the aspect of the cross as it deals with or as it pertains to the changing of covenants. Because again, if you don't understand that that thing has been taken away, you will not maximize everything the cross did. And you continue to wallow in, in deception and wallow in oppression and wallow in, 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 the, in the grips of the enemy, not because you're not saved, not because you're not delivered, but because you do not know or because somebody has successfully convinced you that after the cross, there's a lot more that you need to do. But let's, let's talk about the cross as it pertains to the changing of covenants because it's important to understand what changed. And, and when you pick the word of God, you can look at the word of God in the light of what Christ did. You read a scripture, you read a prayer, you read a text, and you understand instantly how that is relevant to you in this dispensation. It answers a lot of questions. Now, let me put out a disclaimer while I'm at this. This is not going to be, or, or this is by no means an exhaustive teaching on covenants. I'm coming to that in a bit. This is not a teaching on covenants. I just want to highlight the place of the cross in dealing with covenant dispensations. That's all. I'm not going into great detail on the actual covenants today, um, what part of it exists, what part of it, what, I'm not going to go into that. I, I, I will go as the Lord leads me. I don't have a, a, a guide or an outline. I just have a couple of scriptures that I'll throw out on there and we'll just go as the Lord leads us. But this is just to highlight the, the cross, the significance of the cross, why you should be thankful for the cross as it has to do with the changing of covenants or how it influences covenants. Um, and then I'll use the word covenant interchangeably with testament because, again, a testament is a wheel. Some people say there's a difference between the covenant and the testament. <laughs> the, the covenant was new. The testament is the same. Or the testament is new, but the covenant is the same. But we'll look at all of that today. Covenants and testaments are wheels. Wheels uh, a wheel, yeah? A statement of desire, a statement of of bequeathal. Um, and a covenant is essentially a, a commitment or a, a bond that binds two people or two or more parties to an agreement. So if your theology separates them, great. If your theology sees them as one, great. I will today use the two words interchangeably, covenant and, and testament for the sake of the context of what we're dealing with today. Talking about that, so, so, so God um, creates the world. We have that um, record of creation in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and then we see what goes wrong in Genesis 3 and, and the, the chain of events that that sets off. And then from 5 and 6, you see Nephilim on the earth and all that madness, and then Noah enters the picture in 6 and 7, and then he goes on, Tower of Babel, you know, uh, after the flood, and then it gets into, straight into Abram, right, in Genesis 12. And, and Abraham runs with God and starts the, the journey from uh, Haran, I believe, his father Terah's house, and leaves. And God says, come to a land I will show you. So the whole um, 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 Abraham narrative rides on till, till Genesis 22, you know, and then Isaac 
takes over his son and goes on 25 down of Genesis. And then Jacob comes into the picture and does his thing. And then Joseph picks it up from there and goes on to 38, 39 there and all of that. And then Exodus, we arrive at, um, of course, um, Jacob had moved with his family on, uh, on, the, on the request of, of Joseph, right? To Goshen in Egypt and that sets the backdrop for Exodus and then we come into Exodus and understand what's going on in Egypt the the persecution of God's people and how their cries are coming up to God and then God starts to bring about a redemption plan again Exodus 1 2 3 all of Exodus is it's absolutely and explicitly about Christ I don't have the time to go into that today, but the entire redemption plan, you know, their, their cries have come up to me and, and all of that, and I'm going to send them a deliverer. Hmm? He's going to send them what? A deliverer, you know. And that's how the, the thing starts with, with Moses being born. And, and look at this. When Moses was born, what did Pharaoh do? He caught every male child two years and below and killed them. When Jesus was born, what did Herod do? Caught every male child two years and below and killed them. So again, like Caleb said, if you read Moses and read Exodus and go, my book of Bible stories, you will miss everything that it's about. And this is why Jesus says in John chapter 5, and let us go there in a bit, John chapter 5, Jesus says to them, and this is very, very instructive, very, very instructive, John chapter 5, the cross as it deals with covenants, the cross as it deals with covenants. John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to them and he says to them, he starts, he starts this particular um, narrative when he starts to speak in, in, in verse 19, John 5, 19. I, I, I won't read all of that, but it's just one train of thought. He starts to address um, the, the Pharisees, the Jews, um, or the teachers and, and adherents of the law from verse 19. And he starts to speak, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. And he just goes on and keeps speaking in one breath until we get to 44. Let's go from 42, for, for just for a, a little bit of a pretext. John 5, 42, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. <laughs> says, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses in whom you trust. And by Moses there, Jesus is referring to the law, the Pentateuch. People confuse um, the Old Testament with the Old Covenant or with, with what the Lord our God gave Moses. The Pentateuch, the law of Moses. It says, Moses, it is Moses that will accuse you. 45. Moses in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote about me. If you believed Moses, you would believe Jesus, for Moses wrote about Jesus. There is therefore a problem when you find somebody who believes the law and does not see Jesus. It means you have missed the entire point of the law. 
you've missed the entire purpose of the law. And the TPT, um, Jesus says, I won't be the one who accuses you before the Father. The one who will incriminate you, and that's a strong word, is Moses. The very one whom you claim to obey, the one in whom you trust. If you really believed what Moses has written, then you would embrace me, for Moses wrote about me. I saw something on Facebook, and he said, if you do not know Christ, don't bother explaining God. If you do not know Christ, don't bother explaining God. You have nothing to say about God if you don't have a grasp on the person, the nature, the message, and the system of Christ. And he hit me like a thunderbolt. He said, don't, you have nothing to say. Don't try to teach God. Don't try to explain God if you don't know Christ, if you have not seen Christ. Because like I've said over and over to our people, publicly and privately, Christ is all that God has to say. Christ is everything God has to say. If God is wise, Christ. If God is creative, Christ. If God is powerful, Christ. If God is a deliverer, Christ. If God can forgive sins, Christ. If God can restore, Christ. If God can be your peace, Christ. Christ is everything God has to say. That's why Christ is called the Logos of God. The embodiment of wisdom and knowledge of God. If God has sense, it's Christ. If God is long-suffering, it's Christ. If God is just, it's Christ. Christ is the express and therefore expressed image of his person. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God dwells in inapproachable light, unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, but we see Jesus. Hallelujah. Hebrews 2.9, we see Jesus. Christ is everything God has to say. Christ is the expression of God, the fullness of the expression of God. So when you read the Old Testament or, the, or study the Old Covenant or study the law, however you want to put them, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that another day. When you're dealing with all of that, it's important to read that in the light of Christ. So he comes in in Exodus, Exodus and then of course uh, uh, Moses is born and then the whole thing kicks in until the actual Exodus. And these are people that were never, as it were, people before. They didn't have any set of laws. They didn't have any, any set of rules governing them. And then of course God begins to get into a covenant with them and starts to share the law with them. Because these guys were an anti-type of the church. So he starts to deal with them and in chapter 20 he starts to give them um, what is popularly referred to as the Ten Commandments, the famous Ten Commandments. And like I said, I'm not going to go into that today because, it, you know, after, after a while, centuries later, we now, we now dissected the Bible and dissected the law and go, when went, well, there's the civil law, there is the ceremonial law, and there is the moral law. So what God did away with was the moral law. Uh, no, not the moral law. What he did away with was the ceremonial law and the civil law because he, has, he had to do with how the, the children of Israel lived their lives as a nation but it didn't do away with the moral law. So the Ten Commandments are as binding to us today as they were in the times of Israel. But the ceremonial law has been removed. And it's the same mouth that you used to say that ceremonial law has been removed. It's the same mouth you used to wear cap and carry rod and, and, and wear crucifix and, and do all you're doing and say that, no, the ceremonial law has been removed. So is it that the ceremonial law has been removed? Or is it that the ceremonial law that you don't like or you cannot deal with that has been removed? Can you see the problem? So we pick and choose and we're confusing ourselves time without end because we don't understand dispensations. We don't understand dispensations. So I'm not going to that today. So let, me, let, me, let me leave your beloved Ten Commandments 
for you to be practicing here. But the other 613, some of them have been removed. Some of them are still there, you know. So because you yourself, you have a special manual after Jesus resurrected that he gave you, indicating to you which of the laws have been removed and which of the laws are still remaining inside grace. Because somehow your salvation includes some ingredients from the law to mix it inside grace. Because the law by itself is not strong enough. So we need to balance it. Now I'm feeling very mischievous and cheeky. I repent. Let me go back to what I'm saying. So God begins to give them laws and starts to cut a covenant with them. But I skipped, you notice I deliberately skipped Abraham's narrative from Genesis 12 all the way. Because God came into a covenant with Abraham. And, and, and don't forget that later on we see in Romans and we see in in, in, in Galatians, that Abraham is a father of faith. Yeah, that we are, we are heirs of faith according to the promise. Right? So God entered the covenant with Abraham, but actually you will find that God did not, Abraham did not participate in the covenant. He sleeps, God puts him to sleep, God passes through the sacrifice, God declares his name, God cuts a covenant, and that precedes Israel in Exodus. Now, Israel comes in and then God begins to give them laws. It's, if you're a Bible student, you'll understand that those laws, of, or the law generally, will not supersede. Oh, let me show you. Let me, let me show you this scripture. I'm just trying to set a, a, a premise. And Holy Spirit, help me to pass this across. Thank you, Father. Galatians chapter 3. Let's go from 15. Let me see it in the NLT. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example, Galatians 3.15, from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. Next verse, 16. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child or his seed. I've taught those in our house, in our local assembly. I've taught this over and over. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Yeah, I've taught it. It says sperma, single seed. But he says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. It's clear in scripture. So see verse 17. This is what I am trying to say. Paul is saying the Galatians. The agreement or the covenant, right? Because I just explained to you what the covenant was. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. So God was playing at something. Oh man, Holy Spirit, oh man. Okay, we'll enter this covenant thing a little bit today. <laughs> Hallelujah, praise God. Did you see that? Galatians 3.17, let's read it again. Uncle, do you have the message? Put the message up, let me see how it puts that. I want, I want to see it in TPT as well, the Passion Translation. Whichever one you put first is fine. This is the way I interpret this. This is the message. A will, you see that? That's why I said I use them interchangeably, right? Covenant, testament, people differentiate them, but scripture uses those words interchangeably. After we're in Bible study, right? It's word and life extra. This is the way I interpret this. A will earlier ratified by God is not annulled by an addendum attached 430 years later, thereby negating the promise of the will. Galatians 3.17 in the TPT, it says that this means that the covenant between God and Abraham was fulfilled in Messiah, that's Jesus, and cannot be altered. Yet the written law 
was not even given to Moses until after 430 years, after God had signed his contract with Abraham. The law then doesn't supersede the promise since the royal proclamation was given before the law. So let's start to look at that first covenant in Genesis 17. Genesis 17. Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, verse 1, and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And that's a very tall order. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And that was not referring to human numerology, like multiplication of natural human descendants. This was spiritual covenant highlighting Christ. Yeah, bringing many sons to glory. Yeah, Jesus being the firstborn. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, verse 6. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations. Look at what God says here. For an everlasting covenant. Somebody say everlasting covenant. To be God to you, and your descendants after you. Nine. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. And your descendants after you throughout their generations. It says you shall keep. God had seen it and said you will keep it. Because God knew what he had designed as the apparatus for which Abraham will be able to keep the covenant. How, and let me jump ahead of myself, how did God ensure that Abraham kept this covenant? God imputed righteousness, Romans 4, to Abraham. So God tells Abraham, you see, I have a covenant with you, but you and you will keep it. He was informing Abraham what the end result of the covenant was. And, 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 and of course, he didn't reveal the apparatus here, but later on we get to see the apparatus by which Abraham is enabled to keep the covenant. And you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And then he now brings in circumcision, which again, Paul's, Paul deals with later in Philippians. But let's keep that. Then we come into chapter 18 of Genesis, where the two men appear. The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth three of Mamre. And da, da, da. let's go to verse 10. Um, verse 10, and he said, I will suddenly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. You know, and that's when Isaac was, was prophesied. And of course, we know all that happens. Let's go to 22. Genesis 22, by this time, Ishmael has been born. Um, Isaac has been born as well. And then God tells Abraham to go and, go and sacrifice Isaac, right? And here, here's, what God, here's how God starts it in verse Two, Genesis 22, verse 2. I'm doing a quick run through, quick walk, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit helps you to get this so I can just establish the premise for what I want to talk about. Genesis 22 and verse 2. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Did you see that? Take now your son. Your what? Only son Isaac, whom you love. Ah, ah. Take now, go back to Genesis 16. Genesis 16, Genesis chapter 16, from verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, that is sleep with my maid. Perhaps I, Sarai says, 
shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar her maid. She took Hagar herself, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, had sexual relations with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. She began to look down on Sarai. And so, of course, they go on. Sarai um, convinces Abraham to send Hagar away. Um, so she goes away. And then in verse 11, the angel of the Lord, and that's Jesus, the angel, pre-incarnate Jesus, says, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Who is telling Hagar this? The angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ. You shall bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And Ishmael is born in verse 15, Genesis 16, 15. So Hagar bore Abraham a son. Hello. Hagar bore Abraham a son. And Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. It's in scripture, isn't it also? Genesis 16, 16. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Can you see the emphasis? Yeah. I'm, I'm deliberately emphasizing it so that we don't confuse them and say, the scripture meant to say something else. No, no, no. So Hagar bore Abraham a son. And Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore. Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. <laughs> so you can't twist it anyway, right? Genesis 22. Verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Nice rhymes. Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Excuse me, pastor. What did you say? Take now your son, your what? Your only son. The only son that I'm reckoning with. Galatians chapter 4. I said the Holy Spirit will help me. Your only son. Please, before we go to Ilama Kosida Rimbra Kitali Soprakatisho Sundi Libridaha into Pakas in Tuzi brother. Look at me, look at me, look at me before we go to Galatians. Look at me. Your only son. Yeah? The son, in quote, of promise. Hmm? But Hagar bore Abraham a son. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And Abraham named his son Ishmael. And God did not see it. Was, was, was Ishmael real? Was Ishmael real? Yeah. Are you sure? Because scripture emphasizes it, right? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Ishmael was real. Ishmael was, real. Ishmael was a son. 86 years old. So by the time Isaac came, Ishmael was how old? 14. 86, 100. 14 year old boy cannot not be real. He's as real as a 14 year old teenager in his days. Kicking and rugged could be. 
But when God is speaking to Abraham in Genesis 22, he says, you, take your son, your only son. That wasn't God having amnesia. That wasn't God denying that he got, um, Ishmael was present. It was God passing across a message to Abraham that the only son I'm reckoning with is Isaac. It doesn't matter what Ishmael represents. I don't reckon with him because Ishmael is just a lead. It's just a flow to Isaac. Galatians 4, verse 21. Galatians 4, 21. Put up, put up the New King James. Uh, um, uh, yeah, let's, let's read New King James. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Uh-huh. This is Paul speaking of. Tell me who? You who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? The law you're desiring to be under. Do you not hear it? For it is written that Abraham had how many sons? Two sons. The one by the bondwoman. Please speak, switch to NLT. Let's, let's use modern English because of our listeners. Tell me you who want to live under the law. Do you, not, do, you know, do you not know what the law actually says? Next verse. The scripture says that Abraham had two sons. One from his slave wife. Mm-hmm. And one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. New King James, but he was he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And God blessed him. Remember? I don't have time to go into all of that. Ishmael received the blessing. And he of the free woman through promise. Here's how the person translation puts it. Tell me, do you want to go back to living strictly by the law? Haven't you ever listened to what the law really says? Have you forgotten that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave girl and the other by the free woman? 23. Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was a child of the natural realm. But Isaac, the son of the free woman, was born supernaturally by the spirit. A child of the promise of God. 24. I'm in the TPT. This will blow your mind. These two women and their sons express an allegory and become symbols of two covenants. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai. Are you following me? What happened on Mount Sinai? Remember I was going to Exodus. God began to give them what? The law. And who was that law symbolic of? Who was symbolic of the law? Ishmael. And what did God do with Ishmael? Did not reckon Ishmael as anything beyond the, what, the, the runner-up to Isaac. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai. Birthing children into slavery. Malika Supra Andagata. Children born to Hagar. So anybody under the law... Is an Ishmaelite born to slavery by the bondwoman. That's why he asked them, those of you that want to live under the law, have you not seen what the law says? Let me, in other words, let me show you what this your glorious law that you want to uphold is about. For Hagar 25 represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem of today who are currently in bondage and you are going there for pilgrimage. Yes, I said it. 
to pray to Jehovah, Yeshua HaMashiach at a wall in a city that scripture says corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem who is in bondage. But there is a Jesus that you can contact sharp, sharp when you are in Israel, praying at the wailing wall, walking the steps of the Via Dolorosa. Listen, the Christ that you cannot see in the word embedded in you by your spirit will not come into your life because you went to Israel. You will get pictures. This is where he lay. This is where they buried him. And that's not even where they buried him. That's where they rebuilt about where they buried him. Sorry to bust your bubble. Brother and sister JP. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem as of today, who is currently in bondage. 26. In contrast, there is a heavenly Jerusalem above us. Marga Sukalibra, which is our true mother. She is the free woman, Sarah. Birthing children into freedom. Go back to NLT and read that 25 and 26. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. NLT, Galatians 4, 25. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. So when you go there and glorify stuff, what are you glorifying? The law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the, go on, go on quickly. The other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. For it is written, Galatians 3, for the law which was given 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. We were there earlier. Galatians 3.17. See that? And I say this. Okay, let's, let, me, let's, 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 let me read New King James. And I say this, or this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Did you see that? The law. The covenant that was confirmed before the law by God in Christ. Where do we see that being enacted? Genesis 16, Genesis 17, 18, Isaac being, being prophesied. Genesis 22, I will go back there. Your only son, yeah? yeah? Your only son. Are you following me? Your only son. That was all. And then, you know, later on in Galatians 3, Paul says that when that covenant was made to Abraham or the promise was made to Abraham, it didn't say to your sons, it said to your son. And that seed is... Christ. Genesis 22. So, stay, take, give your only son. Because the sons could not be made by, from sons. Sons could only be made from a son, a prototype. And Ishmael wasn't that prototype. Genesis 22. Uh, you know the story, right? Bible story. Hey, my, my father, look at the wood. Look at the, the, the fire. Where's the lamb? Oh, the Lord shall provide himself a, 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 a bond of him for the sacrifice. And then look, a ram now came. And a ram. And what does a ram signify? Obstinacy. Flesh. Law. Carnality. The conflagration of sin. Kill the ram. The lamb. The Lord will provide himself. English translated it, the Lord will provide for himself. But there it says, the Lord shall provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. <laughs> he read King James, he does, the Lord shall provide himself. 
King James. KJV. The Lord shall provide. Have you seen it? King James. God shall provide himself a lamp. That's what King James originally says. New King James was one that a later translation said, it doesn't make sense. So let's add four inside. But Abraham said to him, prophesying what even he, Abraham, did not understand. That my son, God will provide himself a lamp. Shall provide for himself a lamp? Yeah, you're right. But God shall provide himself as a lamp. Does that make sense? And when he came in John 1, 29, I believe, or thereabout, when John screamed, Behold, the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sins. So we get to Exodus chapter 20. And the Ten Commandments start to flow. You know, it doesn't end there. We, we, we read the Ten Commandments and we stop at 17 of Genesis 20. But it just, God just keeps speaking and fleshing out the law. Fleshing out the law. And fleshing out the law until we get to chapter 24. I read from verse 1 to 8. Exodus 24, verse 1 to 8. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Exodus 24, 1 to 8. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Somebody said, Worship from afar. That was our covenant. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. Intercessor, mediator. But they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. What mountain? Mount Sinai in Arabia. Corresponding to earthly Jerusalem, which is from the bondwoman. Are you following? Built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered bond offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in, a, in basins and half the blood. Moses took what? Half the blood of the oxen. Put in basins and took half the and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. What was the book of the covenant? Verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Are we together? He took the book of the covenant, 7, and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Yeah, right. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. This is the blood of the covenant. Please, is anybody following me tonight? Yes, sir. I know you need to go and play back again and, and break it down one after the other. And I'm not even going to, an, like I said, this is not an exhaustive teaching on covenants. I just want to explain to you the role of the cross in changing covenants. Exodus 24, 8. This is the blood of the covenant. Please mark that. Please. This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Are we together? Don't forget Paul says that this covenant now we're talking about that was given 430 years after Isaac cannot annul that covenant as to make that covenant of no effect. Otherwise God would have lied when he spoke to Abraham and said I'm bringing a son of promise. I'm bringing you to a land 
flowing with milk and honey. That land was not Canaan. That land was not Israel. That's why Hebrews 11 now comes and says that these guys were sit looking for a city. Are you following me? Whose builder and founder was God? That is why, look at me, Abraham was, it was written of Abraham that he never built a house, sir. Because he had entered land flowing with milk and honey in the physical sense. But he didn't, why didn't he build a house and settle and start a, and start a dynasty and start a village? The Bible says of Abraham that he lived in tents. Abraham refused to settle because he knew that what God promised him, Canaan was not the answer. Because when he got into Canaan, he should have settled and built and chilled. Lot tried it. See what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham kept searching. That's why Jesus stands later on and says, Your father Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Because in Abraham's natural day, he did not enter the day of the Lord except by faith, by virtue of what God imputed to him. He knew that this was not it. Oh, this was not it. There was more that was coming. There was more. So here we see God, or Moses, not even God, oh, Moses, telling them, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to these words. And we see Paul explaining that this covenant that God, Moses was entering with the people on behalf of God cannot annul the promise which had been preceded to Abraham. That's why I've been going all the rigmarole of showing you Genesis 16 and 17 and 18 and 22. Is he, is he making sense? This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. This covenant includes the stuff that is captured in Deuteronomy 27. Let's look at Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Those of you who want to live by the law, do you not know what the law says? Let me show you. Moses commanded the people. Verse 11. Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, This shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon and Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and this shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molding image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Who are afraid to answer amen now. 19. Cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt. Please go to NLT. Cur NLT. Oh Jesus. Malika Sibra. Cursed is anyone who dishonors father and mother. Hello. How many of you have never dishonored your father and mother before since you were born? How many of you know? You know that you know. That you know in your heart that you know. That you have dishonored your father and mother. Even whether they deserve it or not. My hands are up. My, my legs are up. And what does the Bible say here? Cursed is the one who treats his father and mother with contempt. And the people shall say what? Amen. You want to live by the law, right? Let's keep going. Verse 17. We're just starting. Cursed is anyone who steals property from a neighbor by moving a boundary marker. And the people will reply, Amen. Keep going. Cursed is anyone who leads a blind person astray on the road. Can you see how easy it was to enter a curse? And all the people will reply, Amen. Keep going. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. And all the people will reply, Amen. Keep going. Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with one of his father's wives, for he has violated his father. And all the people will reply, Amen. 
Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with an animal. And all the people will reply, Amen. Keep going. Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with his sister, whether she's the daughter of his father or his mother. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with his mother-in-law. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who attacks a neighbor in secret. And all the people will reply, Amen. Keep going. Cursed is anyone who accepts payment to kill an innocent person. And all the people will reply, Amen. Keep going. Cursed is anyone who does not affirm or obey the terms of these instructions. And all the people shall reply what? Amen. See 26 again in the New King James. Cursed is the one. Look at this very carefully. Who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them? And all the people shall say, Amen. When God gave the covenant, the promise to Abraham, God told Abraham, you shall keep it. When God gave the law to Israel, he didn't tell them, you shall keep it. He told them, if you don't keep it, you are cursed. You think he was done? You enter Genesis, Deuteronomy 28, the next chapter. You see a few brief verses of blessing. 14. And then you start from verse 15. Right through till verse 68. Close to 50 verses. If you don't obey, verse 15. Genesis 28, 15. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 28, 15. If you don't... Oh, somebody is saying all these curses. Mbok, no, no, let me, let me give you a few more. You who want to live under... The law. Deuteronomy 28, 15. But it shall come to pass. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And to observe carefully. All. Somebody say all. His commandments and his statutes which I command you today. That all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cost shall you be in the city. Cost shall you be in the country. Cost shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cost shall be the fruit of your body, that's your children, and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock. Cost shall you be when you come in, and cost shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. I'm jumping. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall sleep with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes. The Lord will bring... Ah, oh, man, it goes all the way. I ain't got time for that. Because right now, as far as I'm concerned, all of this is just high-sounding nonsense. Why did I say that? Because according to Galatians 3 and 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So somebody go, why did God say all this? Why did God sound so angry? Because if God gave you this law of Moses and you got up and went, I'm, I'm going to keep this law. God is letting you know, try and keep it and see what will happen to you. Because you can't keep it. It was not given to you for you to Keep. It wasn't given to you for you to keep. Why was it given? Galatians. Let's go back to Galatians. Ishmael, Isaac. Why was the law given? Thank you, Father. 
go back to Galatians, and we will pick it up from 15. We've read that text already. Let's, let's go from there. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. I've been what in life. Yeah. I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. The law, man's covenant. That's why I said to you in Deuteronomy and in, Gen in Exodus 24, who was speaking? Moses, not God. Moses, for me, mediator. And Paul calls it in verse 15, man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, which it was, how was it confirmed? How was it, how was it confirmed? Blood. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back. We're in Bible studies, aren't we? Exodus 24, 8. Read it in the New King James quickly. Exodus 24, 8. And Moses took the blood. Moses took the what? The blood. Sprinkled it on the people. And said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Did you get it? Yeah. Galatians 3, 15. I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant... Once it is confirmed, it cannot be annulled. Are you following? How was it confirmed? By blood. NLT. Same verse, 3.15 of Galatians 3. Galatians 3 and 15, NLT. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. Why was it, how was it confirmed? By blood. This is the blood of the covenant. 16. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made. He does not say unto his seeds as of many, but as of one unto your seed. Who is Christ? So who has been prophesied to Abraham? Christ. But in order for Abraham to think of or to start coming to terms with grasping the prophecy of Christ, a physical son was given to him. Does that make sense? But in also, so you see when this same Galatians 3, verse 8, where it says the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. Oh my God. Oh. Oh. And the scripture foreseen, Galatians 3, 8, and the scripture foreseen that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, what was the gospel Abraham heard? In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So when Abraham received this gospel in Genesis 16, 17, 18, 22, what Abraham received into his spirit was the promise of Christ. That's why even when he received Isaac, he did not settle. Even when he received Canaan, he did not settle because the city was coming. Jesus was coming. As to your seed, who is Christ? So Abraham received Isaac, but Abraham actually received in a promissory sense Salvation by grace through faith. That's why Abraham is called the father of faith. And we are called heirs of the promise according to Abraham. That story for another day. So how did Abraham walk with God? Because you know God had told him, Abraham, A-B, 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 baby. This promise I've made with you. Let me explain to you how it's going to end. You will keep it. And what was it written of Abraham in Romans 3? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. That was the keeping that God promised Abraham. No, he will keep it. We're not sleeping when I enter covenant with you. You will keep it. 
Galatians 3 and 17, and I say this, the law which was 430 years, it cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, verse 18, Galatians 3, 18, if the inheritance is by the law, then it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham, how? By promise. 19, this is where it gets juicy. What purpose then does the law serve? Mm? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. Somebody say till. Please look at me. Caleb, what are you doing at this junction of Marian? I am waiting until David comes. Uncle, at the point that David comes, we pass and we see Caleb with David. Caleb, what are you doing on the junction? I thought you said you were waiting until David comes. No, I am I'm here because I'm fulfilling my waiting for David. <laughs> David coming does not cancel my needing to be in Marian Junction waiting for David to come. No, sir. By the time David comes, your until is complete. Yes. We are waiting till. Hmm? So by the time the till that you are waiting for arrives, that's the end of the tilling. Your job is done. You proceed. Okay. It was added because of trans transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Till the seed, capital S, should come. To whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law, look at this, verse 19, 21 rather. For if there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness could have come by the law. So right, the law was not given to bring about righteousness. It was never the design of the law. Hence the curse on you for breaking it because you're supposed to read that law, have sense and say, God, if you don't help me, I'm finished too. So, you, know what? you know what, God? Reading all of this, I am as good as cursed. Come and deliver me from the curse. Are we together? For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 23. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law. Please switch at this junction to the TPT. 22. Galatians 3.22 in the Passion Translation. Scriptures make it clear that since we're all under the power of sin, we needed Jesus. And he's the savior who brings the promise to those who believe. 23. I like the TPT because of how clear in English it is. Now here verse 23. So until, somebody say until. Until the revelation of faith for salvation was released, the law was a jailer. Holding us as prisoners under lock and key. See the next word. Until 
until the faith which was destined to be revealed will set us free. In order to be freed, you had to first be bound. Only bound people can be free. You can't be saved if you are not first unsaved. So let's release a law that will awaken all manner of nonsense in you that will now make you realize you need to be saved. And then the Savior, which had been promised before your mess, can now come in. That's salvation story. 24. The law becomes a gateway to lead us to the Messiah so that we will be saved by faith. Ishmael becomes a gateway to lead you to the promised son so you can be saved by faith. The old Jerusalem is a symbol, an allegory of the Jerusalem that is from above. Because you know in Hebrews, it now begins to say that you have come to the new Jerusalem. So when God was dealing with Isaac in Genesis 22, he says, take your son, your only son. God did not reckon then with the law. He's not about to start now. He's not about to start now. 25. Galatians 3.25. I'm in the TPT. But when faith comes the law is no longer in force. Yeah. Yes. When faith comes, the law is no longer in force. But when faith comes, the law is no longer in force since we have already entered into life. Yeah. Where did this happen? On the cross. Yeah. Exodus 24, 8. Go back there again. Moses said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Luke twenty-two fourteen. 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, 17, and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 19. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Are we there? Yes, sir. Then he goes on. Likewise, verse 20, which is where I'm going. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my Blood, which is shed for you. I repeat, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Paul echoing this in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, 23. 
1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul was not there. He was not part of the 12. He was not part of the 120. He was not yes. part of the 500. Yes. Yes. He was not. He, he himself, he says that he's one who was born out of due time. He makes that clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. But we'll come to that. 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says in 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 25, in the same manner, Paul who was not there. Paul who when he was speaking this, I told you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had not been written. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Hebrews 7. His blood, the cross, changed the covenants. If you miss that, you miss everything. If you think that you were saved, your sins were forgiven, you were justified, so that you can be empowered to keep the law, think again. Think again. Hebrews chapter 7, from verse 11. I'll just jump through a lot in the text so I can round this up. Ha, ah, Holy Spirit. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Hmm? If the perfection were through the priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, of necessity there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. The tribe that Jesus came from. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come. Not according, look at this, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment but according to the power of an endless life. Skip to verse 18 for time's sake. For on the one hand, there is an annulling. Ah, thank you, Father. Put up the message. 7, 7, 19, 7, 18. Hebrews 7, 18. Hebrews 7, 18. The former way of doing things, <laughs> a system of commandments that never worked out the way it was supposed to, was set aside. See verse 19 in the message. The law brought nothing to maturity. Start again. 19. 18. Go from 18. 18. The former way of doing things, a system of commandments that, that never worked out the way it was supposed to, was set aside. The law brought nothing to maturity. Now see how the TPT puts this. Am I in the TPT? Yes. The old order of priesthood has been set aside as weak, and powerless. 19. For the law never made anyone perfect. But in its place. Somebody say in its place. Somebody say in its place. That, 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 that emphasizes that word until, right? In its place is a far better hope. Which gives us confidence to experience intimacy with God. Let's skip to chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 13. Um, Hebrews 8, 13. I read in the New King James, and then we'll read it up in the message and the, and, and the TPT. Hebrews 
in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. Isn't that very clear? He has made the first one obsolete. Not that he has made it easy for you to now be able to keep it. That would be God changing his standards. No, he has made the first one obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Are we following? Um, by coming up with a new plan, this is the message, a new covenant between God and his people. God puts the old plan on the shelf. And there it stays gathering dust. <laughs> TPT says this proves that by establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete, ready to expire and about to disappear. Ready to aspire and about to disappear. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 1 to 4. I'm rounding up. Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. For the law, Hebrews 10, 1, having a shadow of good things to come. Please open your ears and open your heart. For the law, having a shadow of things to come and not the very image of the things. Switch to NLT. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. NLT, 10.1 of Hebrews. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come and not the good things themselves. The message. The old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. Since that old law plan wasn't complete in itself, it couldn't complete those who followed it. No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, they never added up to a complete solution. The, The Passion Translation. The old system of living under the law presents us with only a faint shadow a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. Yes, sir. Skip to verse 9. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. Then he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. See that statement. He takes away the first. Somebody say he takes away the first. That he may establish the second. So when the second came, what happened to the first? He took it away. He removed it. Do we understand? Against this understanding. Let's go back to a scripture that as a New Testament believer, you have gone through over and over and over and over again. In the light of all this journey I've taken you through. One verse. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Colossians 2 14. Scripture you've encountered over and over and over. Go, go, start from verse 12. We're buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Having forgiven you all your trespasses. 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Do you understand what we just said so far? Yes, what was this thing? 
Exodus 24. And Moses wrote down the words of God and called it the book of the covenant. And then sprinkled blood on them and said, you have entered blood covenant with God over this. And then from Deuteronomy 27 to 28, if you don't do this, you are cursed. If you don't do this, you die. If you don't do that, you die. It was not written to favor us. The law was never written to favor us. It was written to make sin exceedingly sinful. I'm, like I said, this is not an exhaustive teaching on this. It's, 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 it's Romans 7. Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I will not have known sin except through the law. Romans 7, 7. For I will not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Eight, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So the law, I woke in sin. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Galatians 3. Ah, Galatians. I love Galatians. Galatians 3. You see then there. It says clearly 22. Galatians 3, 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. So the law here and sin are synonymous. Does that make sense? Because law is the amalgamation of sin. Everything you can do wrong that you, you think you can do right. Scripture confined all under sin. How did scripture confine all of us under sin? By giving us the law. What did the law do? To wake sin in us. Because according to Romans 7, you see that the law is good, but the law did its job. And what was the, law, the, law, the job of the law? To awaken every manner of sinful desire in us. So that when Christ comes, we can know that, man, where have you been? Thank you for coming. We could not have been able to do this without you. So this is what was written. That Colossians 2 and 14 is talking about. That having, go back to Colossians 2 and 14. Colossians 2 and 14. Having wiped out the handwriting. Is it making sense to you now? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. See where it happened. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Where did he took it away? At the cross. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. So the cross changed the dispensation. The cross changed the dispensation. The cross retired the law. Say with me, the cross retired the law. The cross retired the law. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. The both here, is, is, you find that in verse 11. The, the uncircumcision, which is the Gentiles, and the circumcision, which is the Jews. Okay? For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 15. See, see that? 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law. Guys in the studio, are you seeing what I'm seeing? What did he call the law here? Enemy. Enemy of the state. Enemy of God, number one. Having abolished in his flesh 
his body. The enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. What he nailed to the cross, as we see in Colossians 2, right? So as to create in himself, in Jesus, one new man from the two. Which two? The Jew and the Gentile. Thus making peace. C16, that's where I'm going. I'll probably end with that. Ephesians 2.16 And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Through the cross. cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity. What's the enmity? If you can hear me out there, scream me back at me. What's the enmity? And Pab didn't say this. It is in verse 15. Right? Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is... The law of commandment. So when he reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, that is by virtue of the cross, putting to death what? The law. Enmity. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We have to end there. We have to go there to end this. We have to go there to end this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 7. The cross retired the law. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious... So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Which glory was passing away? How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? See, two different glories. For if the ministry, what was it just called now in verse 7? The ministry of death. Hmm? Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation. So if if you are practicing the law, you are practicing condemnation. But to us, there is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8.1 To those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Verse 2 For the law of the Spirit of life, that is grace, in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Because he put to death that law in his flesh on the cross. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what, was pass, if, if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away and in our day has more than passed away. But now we are beholding the glory of the Lord. The dispensation changed. He retired the law. So when Romans 10.4, 10.4 of Romans, 10.4, Paul says that Christ, therefore, is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To those who believe. Because now there is a way to be righteous before God. Apart from the law. Romans 3.23. Oh my Lord Jesus. Stuff is just jumping in my spirit. You know. Romans 3. He's the end of the law. Why is he the end of the law? Because you see in Romans 3.23. 21. Let's start from 21. For for context. 21. But now. Let's go from 20. It's fun. It's beautiful. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. 21 But now the righteousness of God apart from the law 
is revealed. NLT says God has brought about a new way to be made right with God. Put, 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 put it up in the NLT. I got to close this thing. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. People that gave you the law, they themselves went past the law and hooked on to grace. David, you say, I love your law. I love your statutes. They are life. They are beautiful to my flesh. But how did Moses, how did David live? By grace. By By believing. How did Abraham keep the covenant? Abraham believed God, Romans 4, 3, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We have a better covenant. Yes, ah, I've not, you know, I've taught you guys what abiding house about how Christ is our better. And you see that more than 10 times in Hebrews, he keeps talking about how it's better. He brought us into a better covenant. He brought us into a better covenant. Hebrews 10, he brings into a better covenant. You know, verse 19, therefore having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way. You keep seeing that all through, all through uh, uh, the uh, the book of Hebrews, how he's our mediator of a new covenant. Hebrews 9.15, for this reason he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. And you see how he keeps repeating that over and over and over and over. He gives us a better covenant, a new covenant. He came as a high priest of a better covenant, established on better promises. Hebrews 8.6 and 7. Because the first one had done its job. It had kept us until faith. And that happened at the cross. So when you read those things and you think of the cross, your gratitude takes on a whole other level. Because imagine if you were born in the old covenant. Imagine if you were born when. Romans 5 comes into perspective, doesn't it? As by one man sin came, and through that man death. But now, disobedience. But now through the obedience of one man. So the obedience of one man answered all the requirements of the law. Yes, sir. Hence, he came to fulfill the law. He came to give the law what the law demanded, that nobody could give it. So he gave it to the law. He gave it to the law by one man's obedience. So when you see all the blessings in Deuteronomy 28, it's not your pastor when he's closing the service that says, you know what, the Lord blessed shall be your fruit and your wine. Blessed shall you be in going out and blessed shall you be in coming in. No, 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 no. it's not your pastor's benediction that equates the blessing. That blessing is Christ, the seed of Abraham. And because the blessing is Christ, the seed of Abraham, so you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of the obedience of Jesus. One man sinned. One man disobeyed. Damnation came into the world. One man believed. Righteousness came into the world for those that believe. So his obedience answered the requirements of the law. So when that came to us, Jesus then took the requirements, having fulfilled it, nailed it to the cross, put the law to death in his body on the cross. I took my time to comb through scriptures back and forth because I know that there would have been a few skeptics watching. A few people who are trying to speak up and hold brief for the law and justify the place of the law's continued existence and application in the life of the believer. And I trust that your heart has been open enough to see what the cross has done and how it retired the law in its entirety. A new creation believer does not kill, does not sleep, uh, sleep with uh, 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 somebody else's wife and all those things the law demands. Not because the Ten Commandments is still in force, but because we are under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that is a better law than the law of Moses. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is not sin conscious, it is Christ conscious. 
The law of sin and death is not Christ conscious. It is sin conscious. Ezekiel 18, 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So he brings a better way, a way that exalts Christ in the midst of stuff. So when you refrain from doing stuff, it's because you understand that it's a requirement of you as a son of God to live according to the righteousness you have received, the salvation you have received. And that is a higher standard, but not one that you're trying to keep because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his great pleasure, Philippians 2.13. I've had a wonderful time navigating scriptures with you tonight. I know it sounds long, but I've actually had to rush through it. I've had to rush through it so I can wrap this up and continue the series next time we come your way. We'll continue with the Christ conscious believer. But at least now I can walk away from this and know that as far as this series is concerned, I've done a bit more justice by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God to open your, your eyes to see the, the, the importance, the pertinence of what the cross did for you. Yes, sir. If you see it, I, I, I'm serious, you will never disdain the cross another day in your life. You will never disdain what Jesus did. You will never disdain what he brought you out of, what he delivered you from. And if the cross could deliver you from this, the witches in your father's house are too small. Think about it. Household wickedness. When God himself is, God himself is saying, curse you if you don't do this. And then God delivered you from that, that curse. Nothing can hold you bound. Just before we leave, wherever you are, I might not be able to hear you, but thank him for the cross with regards to how he changed his dispensation and brought into a new covenant founded on better promises. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for the cross. We're no longer under the law. We're not. It doesn't matter what anybody says, thinks or feels. We're not under the law. We're not under the law. The cross changed it. The cross changed it. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And the New Testament doesn't kick in until the death of the testator, Hebrew says. And on the cross, the testator died and the New Testament began. And when the New Testament began, the old one was put to death because he was an enemy. He was an enemy. And he put it to death. He put to death the enemy, the law of commandments and ordinances. He put it to death. So thank him. Thank him that you are free from the shackles of the law. Thank him that you are free from the shackles of the law. You are free from the shackles of the law. He removes the first that he might establish a second. Come on, come on, come on. Thank him wherever you are. Thank him, thank him, thank him. Thank him for retiring the law in his entirety. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to your name. Hallelujah. 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 This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.